Good morning again. Uh, scripture reading this morning is Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, first to Antioch. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I hope you keep your Bible open. If you haven't, open to Acts chapter 11 while we go through this. And let's pray and invite God's blessing as we do. Speak to us today, Father. Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts, open our minds. Help us to see, to hear, to understand, to grasp, and to do. In your name, Jesus, amen. So, today, six people, Andrew Lachance, Jack Lachance, Lindsay Johnson, Jackie Concepcion, Alex Ludwig, and Cody Miller are being baptized and to be baptized is to say, I identify with Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I want to be called by his name. I want to be known as someone who follows him. I accept his substitutionary death for my sin. I receive his lordship over my life. It's to identify with Jesus. Now, in our World, the most common name or label for someone who identifies with Jesus is a Christian. Have you ever wondered, where did that name come from? Because it's only in the Bible three times. And in the early days of the church, until Acts 11, we read, it wasn't even a term, right? Here in Acts 11, I thought today we could go back to the first time that Followers of Jesus were called Christians and learn what were they doing at that time that gave them, that earned them this label, Christian or Jesus people, Christ person. What were they doing? Well, there's a lot we could talk about, but I'm limiting my message to four things. Four things. They're short. They won't take long. But four things. Uh, before we get to that, um, we have reason to believe that the term Christian was not, a, was not a friendly term. It was not a term of endearment. It was a term of mockery. Uh, because 
Christian, uh, that suffix, I-A-N, was used to describe people of different political parties or from different cities. So you had the Herodians, who were in, in Herod's political party. You had the Caesarians, who were loyal to Caesar. You had the Republicans. Actually, that's today. People in the Republican Party. And then you had the Christians, the people loyal to Christ. And this was actually the punchline of a joke because Christ was what, what people thought was a dead, poor Jewish man. And these silly people threw in their lot with this dead, poor Jewish guy from Galilee, from Nazareth. I mean, it was a punchline to a joke, these Christians. But over time, what happened was that Christians wore this label as a badge of honor and said, yes, I identify with Jesus. And he's not dead. He's alive. He's my Lord. I am a Christian. And that, for whatever reason, that is the term that has stuck around the world. So here in Acts, we see four ways that these Jesus people earned the title Christians. Um, Jesus was their message. Jesus was their bond. Jesus was their curriculum. And Jesus was their Lord. They were Christians, Christians, because everything they did was centered on this person named Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. And my prayer is that you who are being baptized here this morning would be Jesus people in the same ways. And all of us would indeed be Jesus people, would be Christians in these ways. So number one, Jesus was their message. The fact is these Christians talked about Jesus a lot. At the beginning of the movement, uh, all of Jesus' followers, all of his disciples lived in Jerusalem. After a few years into the Christian movement, there was, um, Jerusalem became a hostile place. There was persecution, and so these Christians, these disciples, scattered. But as they scattered, there were like seeds blown on the wind. And they began to talk about Jesus wherever they went. Look in verse, 20, uh, verse 19. It says that as they were scattered by persecution, they spread the word. And in verse 20, they were telling the good news about Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, telling the good news, is one word in Greek. We could translate it gospeling. They were gospeling about Jesus. They were telling the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That was their message. They didn't have a message about uh, self-help. They didn't have a message. They didn't have a sales pitch. They didn't have a message about family values. They didn't have a message about join this or that political party. They didn't have a message about, here are three steps to being a better person. They had a message about Jesus. And that's the message we still have 2,000 years later. You know, sometimes churches today, including ours, uh, evangelism 
spreading the word, preaching the gospel, seems like this big, scary thing. And I think part of the reason for that is we think it has to be like a sales pitch. We have to get people to do something. We have to make people like us. And we're going to impose our way of thinking on other people. That is not what the gospel is about. The gospel, the good news, is a proclamation, an announcement about what has happened in history. Jesus Christ really is, really was, and still is, God in the flesh. He really did die on a Roman cross. He really did rise from the grave bodily three days later. You really can have forgiveness by trusting in his name. And he really is coming back someday to gather his people from all nations. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the message these people were announcing and talking about and spreading wherever they went. Number two, Jesus was their bond. One of the, one of the weirdest things about the Jesus people that would have turned some heads in Antioch was that their group was made up of different people who shouldn't have been hanging out together. But they were. You see, in the very beginning, all of Jesus' followers were Jews. Jesus came as a Jew. He was the Messiah who fulfilled all the prophecies and types of the Old Testament. And so all of his first followers were Jewish believers in Jesus. And it says here that at first they spread the word only among Jews. But look at verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is a big deal. This is a big deal because Jews and Greeks did not associate with one another. Greeks, if you were a Jew, Greeks were these um, uncircumcised, pork-eating, Sabbath-breaking, idol-worshipping pagans. And Jews and Greeks did not associate with one another. But now, by God's power, Greeks were believing in the Jewish Messiah and Jews were coming together with them and they were becoming one thing, one movement, one people, Jesus people. And that turned some heads. You, you can imagine in Antioch, uh, and, and just for context, Antioch was a city of between 100 and 600,000 people, the third largest in the Roman world. Okay, and it had big city problems, lots of vice, lots of sin, lots of immorality, gambling, prostitution, slave trading, corruption, you name it. There were also some big pagan temples there. So people in Antioch were used to seeing everything under the sun, but Jews and, Jews and Greeks hanging out together and following Jesus together was weird. That turned some heads. Now, news of what was happening, not only did it turn heads in Antioch, but news got back to Jerusalem, 
And the church in Jerusalem sent up this guy named Barnabas to check out what was going on. To see, is this legit? What's God doing here? Um, Look at verse 23. When he, that is Barnabas, arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad. You see, the only thing that can bring people from different teams together is Jesus. What the grace of God through Jesus had done. Jesus' people are bonded together by Jesus in his grace. Where people wearing all different jerseys enter the waters of baptism and come out wearing Team Jesus. They're Jesus' people. Jesus is their bond. One of the hallmarks of true Christianity is that people who shouldn't be hanging out together are hanging out together. Different people. Now, did you know, it's my joy to remind you this morning that though we are here in northern Vermont witnessing a tiny square of the world and what God is doing, we are part of a global family of believers. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are Arabs, who are Brazilians, who are uh, Eskimos, who are uh, South Africans. There are more people, more Christians today in the world who speak Chinese and um, African tribal languages and uh, Spanish than English. Way more, way more. And what do we all have in common? Jesus. He is our bond. I remember the first time this started to, to really sink in for me. I was 15 years old. No, I was 14 years old. And uh, my church in Vermont went to Romania. A small team of us went to Romania for this missions project. In later years, members of this church would go on, that, on those trips. So this was my first time there. I was this, you know, 14-year-old Vermont kid who hadn't seen anything. And we show up, and there's all the, the different smells and sounds and sights of this other country, this Eastern European country, uh, eight or nine years after the fall of communism. Things are still being rebuilt. The church there had been severely persecuted during communism and so it was still kind of re- rebuilding itself. It had actually thrived under oppression, but, now, but the church buildings had been destroyed or repurposed. So the first Sunday we were there, they took us to church. I thought, okay, we're going to a church service. You know, great. We pull up outside this little house in the city and we pull into this uh, courtyard We walk into this house where there's like a living room and a kitchen just filled with plastic chairs. And there's one acoustic guitar in the front. And for the next hour, that house is filled with the sound of Romanian voices singing together and praising Jesus. And I was just like speechless. That was my first taste of realizing we are part of something bigger. We are bonded with people different from us. Jesus is real. He is our bond. 
Now, we may not see that same kind of diversity here. We don't live in an ethnically diverse part of the world, and that's fine. That's not good or bad. But we have people in this church with PhDs and some with GEDs. We have octogenarians and infants. We have people who are uh, long, you know, 10th generation Vermonters and Flatlanders. (laughs) I don't know why we say that term for, I mean, there's plenty of places that aren't flat that are outside of Vermont. (laughs) Some, in fact, that are much more mountainous than Vermont. We have people who lean left politically and people who lean right politically. We have all this various diversity in this church. And the only reason we're all together is because of Jesus. Because he is our bond. We're Jesus' people. Number three. So Jesus was their message. He was their bond. Third, he was their curriculum. If we are anything, and if these Jesus' people were anything, they were learners. They, all these new believers we read about in verse 21 needed instruction. They needed to learn who Jesus was and what he said and what he said to do to follow him and how he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies and how to be loyal to him in an unfriendly world and how to tell other people about him and how to let his Holy Spirit transform our lives. All of these things needed to be taught. And they still do. And Jesus was their curriculum. He was the center of their learning. And that is true for us. God have mercy if this church ever does not have Jesus as the center of our teaching. Right? A disciple is a learner, a student of Jesus. And so we're learning from the scriptures how to follow him. I was thinking this week, um, reading this passage, how cool would it have been to be in the room in Antioch when Barnabas was there and the Apostle Paul came up, that's who Saul is in this passage, and they were, just, they were there for a year teaching and preaching and helping these, these new believers learn. And I think, what were they talking about? What were they saying? What, was, what were their lessons like? And then I realized, wait a minute, we have access to all the same stuff they taught and more in this book. (laughs) We have way more resources for learning about Jesus than, than they did. We have the whole story. We can look at this book anytime we want. And by God's grace, may we be people who are students of God's word. May all of you being baptized be students of God's word. Get really familiar with this book. Learn what it says. Learn what it says about Jesus. Learn what Jesus says to you in this book. It's the only way you're going to grow in your faith. Be a learner. Have Jesus be your curriculum. Finally, Jesus was their Lord. That's what we see And I get this in verse 23 where it says, Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord Jesus with all their hearts. 
This means that they were already people who were known for being true to Jesus. That was the essence of what being a Christian was, be true to Jesus. And Barnabas told them, stay true to Jesus. Don't compromise with idols. Don't compromise with sin. Don't compromise with uh, politics. Don't compromise with greed. Keep Jesus on the throne of your life. Keep him as your Lord. In a few minutes, as these people are baptized, I'll be asking them four questions to, to affirm their faith and their confession of Jesus being their Savior. And the fourth question is this. Do you intend, by God's grace, to follow Jesus as Lord? And if you say, I do to that, you are pledging allegiance to Jesus. You're saying, I will follow him. He's my Lord. He's my master. I'll do what he says. And all of us today who are already Christian, already baptized, we can reaffirm that in our hearts. We can reaffirm that Jesus as your Lord. See, Jesus' people are loyal to Jesus. Even when it makes us look weird, even when it's hard, even when it makes you uncool, because he deserves it. Because he is, he is Lord of heaven and earth. God has given him authority of, over everything in heaven and earth. And so we're just getting in line with reality when we make Jesus our Lord and are loyal to him. And friends, we can't do this alone. We need encouragement. Barnabas, Barnabas' name was actually a nickname. Um, and it means encourager. He must have been this guy just known for being so, uh, just like such a support and a coach and an encourager for people in the faith. That he, he got a nickname, the encourager, the son of encouragement. Who can you be an encouragement to in their Christian walk? You need encouragement the people being baptized today will need encouragement, and you can encourage them. Encouragement is like, you can do it. Remember, what, remember who you are in Christ. Remember what Jesus did for you. Remember how much God loves you. Remember the cost of disobedience and sin. Remember the Holy Spirit is in you. Remember, I'm here and I love you encouragement and here's the good news here's the good news when we put our faith in Jesus and are loyal to him it's not the strength of our loyalty or our faith that saves us but it's the strength of the one in whom we trust so because Jesus is perfectly faithful that means even if our faith is weak and imperfect and we falter and we stumble, he will remain true to us. We're not trusting in our own strength and our own ability to be faithful to Jesus. We're trusting in him. And may that inspire you to be more loyal and more uh, uh, true to him. So friends, in closing today, 
I was thinking about the fact that we, we live at a time in history and a place in history probably a lot more similar to the city of Antioch in the first century as we've ever been. Because Christianity is increasingly weird. Fifty years ago, the word Christian was something you'd want on your resume. Like, I'm a Christian, I go to this church, I'm a deacon at this church. And today, you more often hear the term Christian said as, was said with a sneer. And don't let that discourage you, because the early Christians were in the same boat. And they still wore that term as a, as, as a badge of honor. Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I do identify with Jesus. So do that. Wear the name Christian as a badge. Identify with him. Let Jesus be the only one who can explain your life to other people. A Jesus person. One of the earliest historians of the Christian movement was a man we know as Eusebius. This is in like the second century or third century. And he wrote down a little story that I want to leave you with today. It's about a Christian named Sanctus uh, in what is now France. And it's, it was happening at a time when Christians were being killed for their faith. And this believer, Sanctus, was arrested and he was being tortured. And listen to Eusebius' words. As they tortured him cruelly, they hoped to get him to say something evil or blasphemous. They asked him his name, and he only replied, I am a Christian. What nation do you belong to? They answered, or they said, he answered, I am a Christian. What city do you live in? I am a Christian. His answers began, his questioners began to get angry. Are you a slave or a free man? I am a Christian, was his only reply. No matter what they asked about him, he only said, I am a Christian. This made his torturers all the more determined to break him, but they could not. And he died with the words, I am a Christian, on his lips. Now, I don't think anyone in this room is going to be tortured for their faith. Probably, not, probably none of us will die for Jesus like this man did, but we can certainly live for him. We can certainly have that label Christian in our hearts, on our lips, at the center of who we are. We are Jesus' people. Amen.